Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. And how do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. You may have seen that commercial uh, on TV, and I just thought it is so perfect. I just, I love that line. I am in debt up to my eyeballs with this big smile on the face. And the kicker of the whole thing is it's an advertisement for a lending service. <laughs> so it's like, you know, this is the answer. This is the answer to all of your financial words. This is the answer to your debt. Refinance. Just shift it to some other lender. You know, that's the answer. In contrast to that, I want you to listen to these words of Jesus. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about all the rest? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, Tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, let me ask you this morning as we get started, which lifestyle would you rather have? Stanley Johnson's or Jesus'? Which, one's sound, which one sounds more livable? Which one sounds more freeing? This week we're starting a new series entitled Desperate House Lies. And we are looking for the next couple of weeks at why we live such stressed out, high-pressured, anxious, and even desperate lives. And the biggest reason for all of it is We have bought into the lies of our culture. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking one by one at each of these lies. And the the whole idea is to get our lives back on track, to start living life the way God designed it and the way God intended. And it all centers around a biblical concept called margin. Okay, now you may not see that word in the Bible, but the concept of margin is there, Old Testament and New. It's all the way through it. God designed our lives to work within margin. 
not out on the edges, not at the limits, but within the margins. And he specifically designed margin when, his, when he was leading his nation of Israel into the land that he had promised them. And they had most of their life, all they had known was being slaves and being told what to do. Now they're going to be living a free life, a brand new life. And God says, now, when you enter this land, when you enter this land, here are some of the rules you need to live by. Here is how you're going to establish margin. First off, every six days, you take a day off. It's called the Sabbath. And it is a day for rest. It is a day of recovery. You leave your, you leave your laptop at the office. You don't bring it home, okay? You don't make that last business phone call. You rest 24-hour period. You do nothing. It's called margin. It's called the Sabbath. And in fact, he said, and for those of you who are landowners, he says, when you reap your harvest, you do not reap it all the way to the border. You don't go all the way up to the property line. You don't go all the way up to the boundary. You leave some behind for the poor and for the alien who lives among you. And in fact, he said, you who are landowners, he says, every six years, you take a seventh year and you don't plant your crops. You don't reap anything. You take a year off because the land needs to rest. It's a margin. And in fact, he said, every seven times seven years, every group of sevens of these harvest, this, these fallow years, when you get to the end of that on the 50th year, he says, Everything goes back to everybody. If you had a loan outstanding, you get all your money back. If you were in debt and you had to sell off your property to pay the debt, you get your property back. Every 50 years, everybody starts all over again. It all goes back to square one. Doesn't that sound like a great deal? See, I'm 53. Okay, this should have happened three years ago. You know what? There is no record in the whole Old Testament that they actually celebrated that year of Jubilee. They never did it. Not that we know of. There's no record of it. Yet God designed it because God designed our lives to be lived within margins. Not up to the limits, not up to the boundaries, not up to the edges, but within margin. And our problem today is, for the most part, because we have bought into these lies, is that we live most of our lives on the edges. We are out at the very limits. In fact, in many cases, we are beyond the limit. And it has to do with our finances. It has to do with our relationships. It has to do with our emotional lives and our physical well-being. It's all the way across the board. And you are not designed to live that way. We are meant to live within the margins. Dr. Richard Swenson, who is a medical doctor, wrote a book about it a couple of years ago called Margin. Let me just read to you what this looks like, okay? He says, marginless living, marginless is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the bank because you were 10 minutes late dropping off the kids at school because the car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station and you forgot your wallet. Margin, on the other hand, is having breath at the top of the staircase, money left at the end of the month, and sanity left at the end of adolescence. He says, marginless is not having time to finish the book that you're reading on stress. Margin is having time to read it twice. Marginless is fatigue. Margin is energy. Marginless is red ink. Margin is black ink. Marginless is hurry. Margin is calm. Marginless is anxiety. Margin is security. Marginless is culture. Margin is counterculture. Marginless is is the disease of the new millennium, and margin is the cure. 
And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at how to get back to living within the margins. It's about having reserves. It's about having buffer room. It is the space between the way that I am currently living and my limits. And if you say those are one and the same, you have no margin. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at establishing margin, financial margin, relational margin, emotional margin, physical margin. Today, we're going to center in on financial margin, and it's exposing the lie, life is what you get out of it, because that's the lie that our culture tells us. That's how you measure your life, what you get out of it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's living beyond your limits. So we're going to talk about financial margin. And the first thing you need to understand about this, and this is really, really important, this is not, even though we're talking about finances, this is not a financial issue. This is a heart issue. It's really important you understand this. This is not a money issue, though we may be talking about money. It is a heart issue because that's not readily apparent. You might not think that, but it really is the case. That's why Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He said it flat out. It's a counter to the lie that our culture is telling us. And he said, you got to watch out. you got to be on your guard. The reason he says watch out and be on your guard is because this is kind of sneaky stuff. Greed will sneak up on you. In fact, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because we tend to think of greed. When we think of greed, what do you think of? You think of Ebenezer Scrooge. Counting his money, not giving out a piece of coal to Bob Cratchit, you know. You think of Montgomery Burns. Excellent, you know. (laughs) Counting out his dollars in his little mansion. And you say, well, I'm not like that, so I must not have a problem with greed. It's not that simple. In fact, look at how Jesus defines it. He talks about it in terms of abundance of possessions. He said in Matthew 6, 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He said, this is what it looks like, storing up. Storing up. Now, it's not that Jesus is against saving for the future and planning solidly for your financial future, okay? That's not what he's talking about. What he is talking about, this storing up idea, is the idea of hoarding. And I know most of you hear that word and you say, I don't hoard. So this week, our staff, we kind of got together and we said, okay, what does hoarding, hoarding look like in 21st century Northern California living, okay? So we came up with some measurements for you this morning, all right? So this is the, this is the deal. You might have a problem with hoarding if you have boxes in your garage with stuff that you haven't used within the past year. You might have a problem with hoarding if you've had to move some of those boxes to public storage because your, groom, your garage is out of room. <laughs> you might have a problem with hoarding if you have more cars than you have drivers in your household. You might have a problem with hoarding if you've got more TVs in your home than you have people to watch them. You might, you might, you might have a problem with hoarding If you have shoes in your closet that you have not worn in over six months, you might have a problem with hoarding if you have two drawers full of t-shirts and you won't let your wife throw any of them out because every single one of them is your favorite. That's a little back and forth there, okay? You might have a problem with hoarding if your kids have so many toys they can't even remember which ones they got last Christmas. 
You might have a problem with hoarding if you do your grocery shopping at Costco because you get so much more for the money, but it ends up spoiling because you can't possibly eat that much. You might have a problem with hoarding if you were on a first-name basis with the operator at the Home Shopping Network. You might have a problem with hoarding if you watch the Home Shopping Network. You might have a problem with hoarding if you are still paying the credit card bill for any item that you have long since thrown away. Because that's what it looks like. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, do not store up for yourself treasures on this earth. And let me say, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning, except that I will say, I am right there too. Chances are, if we did a show of hands, every one of us could say, we, uh, I think I might have a problem with that. I'm right with you. I, I will be honest with you. I struggle with this all the time. It's always got, I got to have something newer and shinier. And I'll tell you what my greatest weakness is. My greatest weakness is tech. Tech stuff. Oh, high tech. If it, if it has more bells and whistles than it had before, man, I'm right there. I so desperately want an iPhone. No, I really, really, really want an iPhone. No, no, no. I mean, I really, 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 really want an iPhone. Hint, hint, hint. No. I see that stuff and my eyes get big and, and my, I start salivating. I, I don't know. It's, you know, Pavlov's dog. I am right there. I am right there with you in all of this. And the thing is, it's really not a money issue. It's a heart issue. And because it's a heart issue, you need to understand, it will take its toll on your heart. It will do all kinds of damage. All kinds of damage. There is an emotional toll. It will take emotional, make the to- emotional damage in your life. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows the emotional toll of greed. That's why he said, I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? He says in verse 7, don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. He says, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious. Don't live in fear. Don't be afraid. And yet we do. Why? Because we have no margin. We have no margin. We are living at the limit. In fact, probably beyond the limits. And because we have no margin, there's no wiggle room. There's no breathing space. There's no reserves. And that's why we worry. That's why we live with anxiety and fear. And I'll tell you this morning, if you are stressed, worried, under financial pressure, there's a really, really good chance you have no financial margin in your life. Lack of financial margin carries emotional damage. It also carries relational damage. There's a relational toll to all of this. The impetus for this whole teaching is all the way back up in verse 13. This whole thing started because someone came and someone in the crowd came to Jesus and said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The whole thing happened over a financial dispute. 
There was a death in the family. The older brother, who had been named the executor of the will, was not dividing up the, the, the inheritance evenly. And so they came to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, tell my brother to share. It was a financial issue. And I will tell you one of the greatest sources of marital conflict, one of the greatest sources of marital conflict is over money and financial issues. It's one of the big three. And I have seen more relationships, more families, more marriages fall apart over financial issues because it's an issue of the heart. I've told you one of my kind of guilty pleasures is watching Judge Judy, you know, and it's, it's, it's funny, I, you know, it's just, just watching the cases and what people are thinking and how they come to their reasoning and all this thing. But it's, it's amazing over and over again, even among family members, even brother, sister, mother to son, I mean, all this kind of stuff. And it usually, like 90% of the time, it has to do with an unpaid personal loan, a vacation trip that somebody paid for and was supposed to get paid back but didn't, or a cell phone bill. There are, in fact, it's like Betty and I sit down to watch Judge Judy. And it's like, okay, is it going to be a cell phone bill? You know, sure enough, it's a cell phone bill. Somebody didn't have bad credit, so they put them on there. Now they didn't pay the bill, and now it's a big dispute. And more friendships and more families and more marriages have fallen apart over financial issues. Lack of margin will cause relational damage. Why? Because lack of margin narrows my focus. I become more self-centered. When I have no margin, all I can think about is me, taking care of me. And I don't have time, nor the resources to love other people. And it causes spiritual damage. Jesus was really clear on this. He said, acquisition and greed are in a head-to-head competition with God for your affection. That's why he said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And in fact, the King James Version word there is mammon. And it's a, actually, it's a more inclusive word. It's really a better translation of it, actually. Because it has to do not just with money, but with accumulation and wealth and treasure. And he says, those two are in competition for your soul. God and mammon. And you cannot serve both. Why do you think Jesus talked more about this issue than any other single subject he taught on while he was on this earth? Because it's a heart issue. Greed and envy and fear and anxiety and anger, those are all spiritual issues. And what it comes down to is what is your concept of God? How do you view God? Do you see God as miserly, cheap, stingy, withholding, doesn't want you to have any fun or have any toys? Or do you see God as loving, and generous, and caring, and good. Because that's really what it comes down to. Jesus said, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. He is a loving, gracious, heavenly Father. He knows your needs. Now, please understand, God does not need your money. God does not need your money, but he does want your heart. And that's why there's this competition going on. It's a heart issue. And to win the battle, you need to create financial 
margin. God doesn't want us living on the edge. He doesn't want us living without margin, without reserves. So we need to create financial margin. How do you do that? You create financial margin by redirecting your heart. That's how you do it. And Jesus told us how. He made it very, very clear. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said, there's a progression to this. There's a way that this happens. The way that you redirect your heart. It's like, you know, what they said in the Watergate investigation, follow the money. Follow the money. Because that's how it works. He says, where your treasure is, in fact, on your outline, you might circle the word is, present tense. Where your treasure is now, he says, there your heart will be future tense also. So if you want to change the direction of your heart and where it will be, you need to change and redirect your finances to where they go now. There's progression to this. There's direction. There is movement. Let me tell you how this works because it's a real good example. I have an IRA account. Okay, I've got a personal retirement account. And, and I've set aside a certain amount out of my paycheck. Every month goes into this IRA account, okay? And that IRA account is invested in certain mutual funds. You know what I do every day when I get the paper? I check the stock quotes. I check out how my mutual funds are doing. And, and like, I'm, I am years away from retirement, I hope. I am years away from retirement. And I, and I check these stock quotes every single day. And Betty says, why do you do that? Because I want to know. I'm invested over here. I don't even know what some of these companies do, you know? But I'm invested in them. She says, why do you do that? I said, because I want to know how I'm doing. She says, but you're not retiring tomorrow. I know, but I want to know if I did, how much I would have. She says, but it's not even going to be that way by the time you retire. I know that, but I still check every single day. Why? Because that's where I've invested. That's where the money's going now because that's where my heart's going to be later on. Jesus says, this is how you redirect your heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. And that requires decisive action. The only way, the only way I know to be able to battle greed in your life is to do just the opposite. And the opposite of hoarding and accumulating is giving. And that is how you redirect your heart. You give. You do the opposite. It's the only way. It is the only way. I have not discovered any other magic pill or magic prayer or anything else that overcomes greed in my life. The only way it happens is by giving. And let me also say, by the way, it is an ongoing effort. It is an ongoing effort. I got to do this all the time. I got to do this on a regular basis. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. Same word. Guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. It is a heart issue. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to redirect your heart. Why does he say it that way? Because your heart is in danger. It is in danger. It is in danger of being sucked down that black hole of greed that is never satisfied. It is in peril. You've got to watch out for this. It is an ongoing sense of being aware of what's happening in your life. 
And here's how you do it. There's a very simple plan of action. And it's, it's a lot more detailed. There's a lot more to it than, than we have time to go into this morning. But, but and Andy Stanley has done a great job of just making it really clean and simple. And it's three Ps. If you can remember these three Ps, you will be able to break the back of greed in your life. The first one is this. Make redirecting a priority. Make giving a priority. That's the first P. Jesus put it this way. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given you as well. Seek first his kingdom. In other words, before investing in me, I invest in God. Before investing in my kingdom, I invest and give to God's kingdom. And I make it a priority. I do it first. I don't give out of the leftovers because here's the truth. If I only give out of what's left over, I will never give. Because you see, if there's no margin, there's nothing there left to give. So it's got to be a priority. He says you do this first. Again, you're redirecting your heart so you do the giving first. Because that's what turns the direction of your heart. So you give first. You make it a priority. When you break the grip of greed, when you reestablish and reprioritize your your finances, that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. You are breaking that grip that greed has on your life. And in the meantime, it'll change your heart. Now, again, it's an ongoing effort. You don't just do it once and say, okay, now I've done that part. It is ongoing. It is ongoing because I am constantly fighting this grip of greed on my life. But I can break its grip when I start giving and I make giving the priority. Jesus said, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth and not have a rich relationship to God. It's just plain foolish. Now, he's not saying you can't have stuff here on this earth. He just said it's foolish to think that's all there is. And so you need to start as a priority, redirecting your heart towards God. Now, I know, I know, as I say this, out in this room, there are many people who are sitting there and you are just so skeptical of this whole thing. And I want you to hear this morning, this is not about raising funds for Northgate. This is not about more money for my church. It it is not. This is about you and your heart. And I will go so far as to say, and I really do mean this, if you are skeptical about this, if you are skeptical and you think, oh, this is just a fundraising trick, if you really believe that, if you are that skeptical, and and, and I understand you would be because there's been a lot of abuse of this over the years, okay, particularly in churches. So I'm going to tell you this this morning. If you are the least bit skeptical about this, do not give to Northgate. Do not give here. Give some other church. Blow some pastor away. Unanswer the prayer. <laughs> I am serious. I am that serious about this, folks, because this is about your heart. And if your skepticism about giving here causes you to not do it, then don't give here. Give somewhere else, but give to the kingdom of God. Give to God's work in this world. Make it a priority. The second thing is, you make it proportional. Which means percentage. Okay, God designed this plan so simply that anybody could do it. Anybody in this room can do it. Here's how it works. I got 10 $1 bills. 
Yeah, they're all still there. Here's what God says. You got 10? One goes to me. That's it. It's very simple. Anybody can do this. If you've got 10 dimes, one goes to God. You got 10 nickels, one goes to God. You got 10 pennies, one goes to God. It's called the tithe. It means 10%. And God said, this is how you do it. And everybody can do this. And in fact, I'll do it a little more for you. One goes to God, first one. Second one goes in your savings account. And the eight that are left over, have a ball. (laughs) Spend it all. Have a great time. Do what you want with it. God's letting you keep 80% of his stuff. Now, I understand. When it's $1 bills, it's real easy. When they're $10 bills, when they are $100 bills, do I have to? And when they are $1,000 bills, whoa. But the principle applies across the board. And there's a reason for it. There is a very, very good reason for it. God gave us the reason. Deuteronomy 14.23, he says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to fear the Lord your God. It's a lesson in redirecting your heart. He says you do this because it teaches you to fear the Lord, to honor the Lord, to trust the Lord, to obey the Lord. That's what it means to fear the Lord, to trust, to honor, to obey, to rest in Him. And he says this is how you do it. 10% off the top goes to God. And when you do this, when you do this, I will guarantee you this, you will be a happier person. I guarantee it. Maybe not right away. (laughs) It might take you a little while. But you will become a happier person. I don't know if you saw this article in the Contra Costa Times just about four weeks ago. Headline is, it really is better to give than receive. And it's actually, a scientific study was done in conjunction between, um, with University of British Columbia and Harvard University. And they actually did a study. And here's what they did. They asked people, first up front, to just rate the happiness level in their life on a scale of one to five. How happy are you? And they just had people, you know, map out where they fit. And they collected all the data. It's the only question they asked, okay? Then after they collected all that data, then they said, okay, now tell us about your finances. How much do you bring in? How much do you spend on yourself? How much do you give? to pro-social activities. So it might be given to somebody as an individual or, or giving to a charitable organization, whatever it is. And, and you know what they found out? The people that rated consistently happiest in their life were the very same people that said they gave away a percentage of their income. And not content with that, they carried it on. They went to a Boston company and a company in Boston that was about to do a profit-sharing bonus, okay? But I don't think the employees knew it at the time. So they went to the employees, and they just said, okay, same question. Rate your happiness level on a scale of one to five. Tell us where you rank, okay? How happy is your life, okay? Then they gave out the bonus. The bonus came a couple weeks later. And then about six weeks after that, 
they, they researched these people again. They went back to the very same people that had said about their lives, who's the happiest, who's not the happiest. After they got the bonus, they asked them, what did you do with your bonus? And again, the people that had said their lives were the happiest were the very same people that gave away a portion of the bonus that came in. Scientific proof. <laughs> if you don't trust the Bible, if all you trust is science, there it is. It really is better to give than receive. And what they found was it didn't matter how much people made. It had to do with what they did with what they made. And some of the people made a lot of money and some made very, very little. But the happiest people were the ones who were the givers. And you don't do this out of a legalistic, I got to do it, okay? It's about redirecting and retraining your heart. That's what God said. And that's why when Jesus was on this earth and people were questioning him about this whole idea and, and he talked to these guys who were, who were the strict legalists about giving and about tithing particularly, he said to them, you are careful, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. He says, you're doing the stuff, but for the wrong reasons. He said, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. The more important thing is the training of your heart. The more important thing is justice and God's love. And the tithe is to train you and redirect your heart towards those things, towards generous living. So if 10%, like right now for you, because you're at the limits and you're thinking, I don't know if I can do that, pick a percentage. Pick a percentage. Make it 5%. But pick a percentage. Not an amount. Pick a percentage and give. Make it a priority, make it proportional, and the third one is make it progressive, which means work at increasing it because the truth is the tithe is like generosity with training wheels, okay? That's all it is. God wants us to live generous lives. The tithe is to help us get moving in that direction, but the tithe is supposed to be like the bare minimum, what God really wants is for us to, to live these generous lives. It's really, really interesting because in the middle of all of this teaching, there's, there's this one sentence or two sentences that seem to be completely like, where did that come from? You know, He's in the middle of teaching about this whole thing about giving and, and, and trusting and, and resting and establishing margin and all these things. And then he says these words, if your eyes are good, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And you read that and you go, what? Where did that come from? What does that have to do with the price of eggs in China? You know, what, what does that fit in with what he's all talking about? Until you understand the words that are used there, the word good and the word bad. And it's the only, the only place in the Bible that these two words are used by Jesus. Okay? There's other words that are used for good and bad. But these two words, because specifically they talk, they're talking about treasures. And really a more accurate translation would be, if your eyes are generous then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are envious, your whole body will be filled with darkness. In other words, Jesus is saying, redirect your vision. Because if you will redirect your vision, you will redirect your heart. And when you redirect your heart, you will establish breathing space, margin. You'll have room. And instead of the stress and the tension and the pressure that you're living under now, 
He says, you will live with margin. Because God did not intend for you to live your life on the edge. It might be fun to get out there sometimes, but you're not meant to live out there. You are meant to live within the margins, away from the boundary. And I will tell you honestly, this is something that Betty and I are constantly growing at. And we got a long ways to go. I I don't stand up here and tell you, you know, hey, I live on 10% and I give away 90%. I don't, okay? But I will tell you this, that we have over the years in our marriage and in our family worked at expanding our giving and worked at expanding our savings. And for a lot of years, our savings, we weren't doing really well at that and we were barely doing the 10%. But over the years, we have worked at expanding that I'm not going to tell you how much because that's none of your business. (laughs) And I will honestly tell you, I've got a long way to go. But we determined to progress in this. Not just do the minimum, but to start doing beyond. Because it's about training your heart. God doesn't want you to live your life on the edge, beyond the limits up in the red zone. Jesus didn't give his life and free you from your sin so you could get back into bondage to greed. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know about you, But that's the life I want to live. And he said it for every aspect of your life, for every aspect of my life. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? I believe that God designed us to live very, very different lives than the ones we are currently living. And I think one of the greatest tells of a life without margin is our finances. Christ came to liberate our lives, not just from our past sin, but from the grip of sin. And greed and envy is a part of that. It is a matter of the heart, a matter of trust. So I'm going to invite you this morning to make a decision about this, to surrender ownership of your life to God. Break the grip of greed. Discover the freedom that margin can bring as you begin to live the way God designed. That's my prayer for you this morning. And if you have any doubts, any doubts at all about God's love or His trustworthiness towards you, just look at the cross. He couldn't have expressed to you any more how much He cares about you and loves you. This morning, we're going to close our time together sharing in communion. And this week, I was just thinking about that. Well, how am I going to fit that in? How does that... And then I thought, that's exactly what we're talking about, the heart. We're talking about remembering that God loves you. He is generous towards you. He is caring about you. So before we share together in communion, I just want to ask you in a very simple prayer to make a decision today to break the grip of greed. Lord, you came to set us free. And yet we so easily fall into into bondage. We become slaves 
to our passions and our desires. We become slaves to so many things and you came to set us free. And I pray this morning that every one of us would see there's a way out of this and that we would take those steps to break that grip of greed in our lives and discover the freedom and the breathing space that comes from you. And give us the strength to follow through on this as we make these decisions today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said earlier, we're going to close our time together in communion. It is a reminder of God's love and his gift towards us of his grace. And you don't have to be a member here at Northgate to share in communion with us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've taken that first step of faith, you're welcome to share in communion with us. You're part of his family, so you're part of our family, and we welcome you to do that. We also know that we have people who are always in that deciding process with us every Sunday. And if that describes you and you haven't quite, kind of, haven't quite got to that place of, of surrender yet, that's okay. We respect that. We honor that. And we're just going to invite you. Just go ahead and pass the trait to the person next to you. Okay? Nobody's going to make a judgment about you on this. But this is meant to be an act of worship and remembrance between God and his people. So as the ushers come forward, please take and hold on to your morsel of bread. We're going to give thanks, and we're going to eat together. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship, located in Benicia, California. 